Take a second just to greet each other. As I say, shake, hug hands and shake necks. Thank you all. So I just want to get some practical things out of the way. Uh, some of you might have seen on Facebook the announcements. Um, Friday night, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, we will have a viewing uh, at the funeral home. It's called, what is it called, Mom? I don't know. It's on Facebook. Clancy Strickland Wheeler in, in Wake Forest. Beautiful people there that they feel like it's their ministry to do what they do to take care of the dead. And they, you know, they came to our house last night to collect daddy and they were just lovely. And they said, when people of faith die, it's so much different than when people who don't have faith die. Because they've seen a lot a lot of this, right? And they were like, there's just a lovely presence. And they could see the tangible love just like we can this morning. And it's wonderful. Um, and then Saturday, we will have the funeral service here at 11 a.m. And then we will go to graveside at Pine Memorial Gardens in Wake Forest, which is also lovely. And we have seen God's favor move even in those little details like that, which are so encouraging in a time like this. And, um, you know, one of the things that has been going through my mind through all this, because I've been here for the last couple of weeks sitting with Dad, is like when this time comes, how can I be? Because we had planned for me to speak months and months ago, and... But then I was just like, ah, how am I supposed to speak and things like that? And then the Lord began to speak to me and began to show me because of who dad was on this earth, because of who he was to me, enables me to step into that role and be like he was on earth, like a mentor. Paul even said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And my father imitated Christ. 
I don't know how this is going to go. This is not going to be a normal sermon, quote-unquote, really, right? Um, I, I got this. It could get messy. Like I said, I have this here in case. But by and large, I have felt God's grace on everything. And the other thing that I know about my dad is that he didn't back down from anything, I, Matthew, see what Matthew said, like the inside information of his sons, because we know the true story about who somebody really is behind the scenes. Because, uh, you know, some ministers can create a persona, much like an actor can take on a persona and, and transmit something to a crowd of people. But we, like a lot of you, saw who the man really was. And he wasn't out to just juice people for their money and take things from them. Rather, his whole life was spent giving and giving and giving, taking from the Lord and giving to those around him. And I tell you, I, I asked God, the one thing I asked God, is said, I want to be there for his last breath. God, I want to be by his side. And I was. Tamara and Tim and I were there. And, and we, we have, it, 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 I'm going to be honest with you, it has been a difficult week for all of us, and we have had to be round-the-clock care, and that comes with its own questions and wrestlings with God. I do know that God is faithful, and the only other thing I know is that even in all of my dad's suffering, which was very hard to watch, I also know that there was another son who suffered, and the father allowed it. And it doesn't have any eternal bearing on my dad's soul. It was hard for us to watch. And it might have been hard for him to go through, but I know he is not feeling that anymore. And he is free. And as soon as I saw him draw his last breath, my wife and Tim can testify, something like a roar came up out of me. He was a lion among men. Because of the lion of the tribe of Judah lived in him. I got stories on stories, just like my dad liked to tell stories. I know the apple don't fall far from the tree. People used to be like, man, you, you look like your dad just spit you right out of his mouth. You know, when you're a teenager, you're like, I want to hear that. Huh, Zoe? All right, let's put down the phone, Miss Kimberly. Miss Kimberly, naughty. We don't give phones in our house. So I was already embarrassing Zoe in Target yesterday because they had good music on. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I was like, you know. She was like, Dad. I'm like, she's already seven and already embarrassed for me. Just wait. Like, you're not wearing those Daisy Duke jean shorts because if you do, guess who will show up in some too? This guy. <laughs> What has two thumbs and doesn't get embarrassed? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> My dad was a lion among men, and he didn't back down from anything. And so I'm not going to either. And as difficult as it was to watch, I was grateful that I was right there by his side. And I saw him draw his last breath, and his eyes fade. And I knew he was with the Lord. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I, I tell you, in the midst of the difficulties, he never cried out, Lord, why is this happening to me? He never pitied himself. Matter of fact, Zoe also got to witness, and Henry, that two nights ago, when it was pretty much the last time that he could mutter any kind of words or anything. We put on some hymns. And this man, with failing breaths, lifted his hands as he was like a weak little bird, and he praised the Lord. And so we got to see it, didn't you, honey? Do you want to come up? You said you wanted to come up. You can. Now you're embarrassed? It's okay, honey. It's okay. And he and I, the conversations that we've had in the last few weeks, and selfishly, our family had been praying, God, please, please, just let him get through the holidays. Right? It's because that's what we want. 
what we want. But again, God gave me another revelation today. And it's here in Psalm 100. Verse 1, and it says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we not ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving week, and dad entered the gates this week of thanksgiving. And, and the, the, the words that he and I shared for the last few weeks, because I, I was with him on Sundays because he couldn't come anymore, and we would have our own worship, and then we would just reminisce about the goodness of God in our life, and with tears in both of our eyes, the, the, the resounding theme was, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We have so much gratefulness in our hearts for who he was on this earth for the choice that he made back in 1962 to serve the Lord because it affected me it affected my brothers it affected my wife and it affected thousands and thousands of people globally and how could we be anything but thankful for that we were so thankful for that I'm so grateful for that. Sometimes my family, as of late, we have been stopping and pausing and asking ourselves, man, could you imagine what the world would be like if Jesus had never come? I mean, it's, it's, it's bad enough, with, you know, he has come and he said it would be. No Christmas? And I, I had been thinking... Lately, like, God, why did you choose our family for salvation? Why? Look at yourself and ask that. Do you know what a gift that is? Where would you be without Jesus and your life? And I said to Tamara, I was like, I don't know why. But God, for whatever reason, put his finger on our family lines, on, on the Newell family, on the Kosh family, on the Johnson family, on the Stout family, and many other families connected to us. And for whatever reason, decided to be good to us. See, because his mercy is everlasting and his truth, I do like it here, thank you, I was wrong, David, thank you. <laughs> his truth endures to all generations. See, because when God looks at us, he thinks generationally. See, because in generations, the continuance happens through thanksgiving, through thanksgiving. So what is our family going to do this week? We are gonna have thanksgiving and we are going to thank God for all the goodness in our life. We're going to thank God for the continued salvation. I look at my beautiful family, my Zoe, my Henry, my Clara, and my darling wife, my mom, my brothers, and I'm just like, thank you, God. And I looked at my dad and I just said, I'm so thankful for you, Daddy. Is it hard? Yes. You gotta understand. Yesterday's final sermon was dropped at twelve uh, last night. It's on YouTube. His last sermon was on thankfulness. This is the theme that has been resounding in us. I was very close with my dad. He was my best buddy. He was my golfing buddy. It may be a while before I can play again because it's just not the same. It's not not the same. And um, the gift of this season and the gift of this time is is I 
sometimes people just drop dead and it's like you got to deal with the shock of it all and you got to deal with like i wish i would have had but we did have all of us had these moments with dad where there was nothing left unsaid no regrets and i looked him in the face and i just said dad you are my best friend and i love you and you were the best man in my life ever and the example of godliness i'm going to carry and we're going to carry it and then some and then some i do want to tell a few stories of of my dad <laughs> some funny ones to break up the ice if that's okay um my dad See, I think a lot of you newer folk, you know, in the last few years, you saw such a kinder, gentler version of my dad. <laughs> now, he was always a godly man, but let's be honest. You know, he was a young guy. Yeah. And full of testosterone when we were kids. And just, he worked out. He played racquetball. At youth camps, he used to stack his team <laughs> so that he would win everything. Yeah, Ray, Ray, Ray knows. Yeah, he used to. Say, yeah, well, he used to put you on his team for most of the time because he's. He'd have like all the biggest dudes on his. It's like, okay, come on, you're the youth pastor. Give me a break. Everybody would like eye roll. Okay, red team's gonna win. Dave Newell's team always wins stuff. Um, he used to have racquetball tournaments, and he would just take like through the weeks leading up he'd go to the the head pro and get little secret lessons so that he had something to go in and just whip everybody and we were talking about that he's like one night yeah i was just i was on fire and i just was like all comers i'll take you i'll beat you right handed i'll beat you left handed and he did and he did um and my dad also didn't tolerate foolishness right and i'm you know I was I was a little bit of a handful, maybe a few times when I was younger. Maybe because I was a lot like him, right? Yeah, there was a time that um, my grandfather left the truck and the keys and left Matthew and I for the day at home, and I was maybe fourteen. Just the first inklings of testosterone. And I was like, "Hey, Matt, you want to go for a ride?" We were, we were doing fine. We were, we were circling the back of our neighborhood, which was mostly empty lots. Just going like 20, 30 miles an hour. I love Laura. She's such a cheerleader. So we're in this 1979 Chevy. Yeah, it's, it's mom's Chevy. It's that one. It's still running. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> and, and we were just cruising along in the back, and I was fine. I was like, I know what to do. I got this driving stuff until I saw like 20 or 30 rabbits in the field and I, see they say a young man's brain isn't fully developed until he's what like in his 20s yeah, yeah so so I have an excuse um I don't even know if it's fully <laughs> still in the 40s <laughs> and this thing had a powerful engine right a V8 <laughs> just shakes when you rev it and I just and, and into the field chasing rabbits and I'm like Wee, this is fun left right over and over there grass was about this high and what I didn't know that there was a concrete post just below the grass boom Matthew hits the windshield cracks it I get out I see the axle is like bent inwards and I was like how can I get a ticket to Mexico real fast Yeah. Another time, there was this same neighborhood. There was this. Uh, we had some crazy stories, particularly growing up in New Orleans. It's a it's a wacky place. I I remember my dad um, one time taking us fishing, and my dad's not like a fisher hunter guy per se. He liked to fish more than hunt, but he's not as much into outdoors as me. But he he did because his dad would take him. And so we lived literally one block or so from the levee in New Orleans. You know, you've heard the stories about Lake Pontchartrain during Katrina and the levee broke and stuff like that. So 
the levee, you know, right here with Lake Pontchartrain, our street was like down here, right? Yeah, so we lived below sea level, like six feet below sea level, right? But like we would go up the levee as boys, and it's like, you know, your kids now, you don't let them go anywhere alone like that. But us, man, we'd ride our bikes down the street by ourselves, go up the levee. My brother Drew and cousin Chris were chased by a wild boar once. But I remember one time, Dad took Drew and I, and Matthew was probably a baby or something at that point, up up the levee, and then the thing is about New Orleans is like the weather can turn like on a dime, right? And this, this summer squall just came up, and over Lake Pontchartrain, we used to always get water spouts. And sure enough, we're up there fishing, and you know, I'm a kid and stuff like that, and all of a sudden, hail starts falling, and water spouts, and Dad just comes running, you know, with us in a, hand in hand with him down in our neighbor's carport, and then mom eventually came and picked us up. But the man was fearless. He was fearless. Another time, I remember our, our neighbor's dog, it was this little mean, yappy spaniel thing, just like spaniel, and, and a jerk. And look, we like dogs. I like dogs. My dad tolerated dogs, right? But th he didn't tolerate mean dogs, right? And so every morning... This thing, when he'd go out to get the paper or something, would come <laughs> trying to bite at his heels or something like that. And he told the neighbor, you know, you need to do something about your dog. Well, they didn't, you know. And so one morning, this dog came yapping. <laughs> Saturday morning, dad's in his robe getting the paper. He just picks up the thing and he just shot puts it like 30 yards. <laughs> The dog never bothered him again. <laughs> I got another story, but I think I'm going to save the uh, the stolen car thing for you know Saturday. Yeah, I, I need to have some stories, you know. I mean, just... oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a teenager, and you know, I, I can't say. But my kids are here. I, I can't give them ideas. No, Mom. I'm not going to tell that one right now. Yeah, we'll tell that later. Um, I never knew the man to back down. Oh, I, I'll tell this story. I know, I know, I know, I know. Here's another story involving a dog. <laughs> this one was a lot crazier, though. So this was our first house near the levee in New Orleans on Marquise Street. And almost every summer, we would go to Destin, Florida, you know? So it was like a four, four-and-a-half-hour drive. We had that old janky station wagon with the wood panels, just like Clark Griswold, right? And, you know, safety in the 80s, like, there's no child seats. Just lay down the seats, and you kids lay down and, you know, sleep the whole way. There was nothing like that. So we would just pile in there. And so we woke up at something like 4 or 5 in the morning, packed the car, we're all excited, and we know we can sleep on the way, loading the car up, and we're, the boys are all excited because we love Destin, Florida. We used to stay at this wonderful hotel called the Frangista, not a hotel, a motel, which Matthew said it smelled like cigarettes, sweat, and, and beach. But the good thing is, like, you'd open the door, and here's the sand right here, and you just run down to the water. So it's like, phew, floor would be all sandy, sandy in the sheets and stuff. You just didn't care. You just live with sand. So we're, we're packing up the car. And when I say we, Dad's packing up the car. <laughs> hey, I was a little kid. Um, and out of nowhere, and like, you know how, like, when you live in a neighborhood, you get to know the neighbors. You get to know the neighbor's dogs, like I just said. Right? Uh, that lady, she's got a crazy dog. She's got a crazy cat. She's got a crazy husband. Blah, blah, blah. You're just like, you know the lay of the land, right? So we wake up and we had this glass, not glass, but a storm door, a clear door in front of our wooden door. And, you know, we would open the wooden door and that storm door would be right there. And we're watching dad load. And he comes back in to get like another bag or something out of nowhere. A giant German shepherd comes, not just passing by, he comes up, sits right in front of our door, bearing teeth. <sighs> Demonic. Straight up. 
I should tell him about Joy, the other neighbor. Now, she was crazy. She was a witch. No, I'm serious. A practice witchcraft. Her name was Joy. <laughs> and um, she used to try to come cast spells on my dad and family and stuff. like. And she knew he was a preacher, of course. And then she'd ask for money, you know, for booze and stuff. And when he wouldn't give her, then she'd be like, you're some kind of a hypocrite. She later blew up her house with her husband in it. It was like four houses down from us. Like, turned on the gas while he was drunk, left, you know, lighted toilet paper or something. We drove by the next morning, we're like, Joy blew up the house. But this, this dog came out of nowhere, giant German shepherd, and would not let us out the door. And we're just like, what are we going to do, Dad? What are we going to do? Homeboy. <laughs> Homeboy's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. No, that dog's not going to stand in front of me, and you devil. Blah, blah. He rebuked it in Jesus' name. Then he pulled down the curtain rod, went out, and beat the tar out of that dog. Sorry, David. Just, and that, the thing is, that thing was lunging at him, trying to bite him. And it was midair, he just Carlton Fisk it right in the face. <laughs> bam, bam, until that thing was like, <laughs> ran off. That was our dad. That was David Newell. That's who he was in the natural, but that's also who he was in the spiritual. And I saw him take on the devil like that again and again and again. I saw him fight for people. I saw him fight for the word, fight for the truth. And he didn't adorn his life with luxuries and pleasures to make himself feel good. He didn't line his pockets with things to show off. I mean, the best car he had was that Buick. Ooh, a used Buick. It's a great legacy, the legacy of a fighter, the legacy of a lion. That's who he was. That's who he was. I want to tell you story, my personal story of our reconciliation. <laughs> These aren't tears of pain. These are actually tears of gratefulness. And this is where he and I were the last two weeks. Because if we would recall this, these moments, and I was so grateful. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. It's messy. I told you it could get messy. I love that man so much. And that part of it was hard to let go. Mom kind of alluded to it that we grew up in a church. You know, it was a word of faith church. And it had a lot of good. And there are a lot of good people. And there's a lot of good messages. And I think I've kind of alluded to it before, too. That, like, there was also heavy, heavy, heavy obligations put on them that took them away, in a sense, um, from, a, like, their, do you want to know what the service weekly tempo was for our family? There were two Sunday morning services, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service, Thursday night choir, and Friday night youth. And Saturday Soul Saving Society. And early morning prayer. And my dad, for 25 years, was the co-pastor, the dean of the Bible college, and the youth pastor. And as Ray, you can testify, and maybe some others here, this was not just like 20 or 30 kids. It was 300 plus solid kids. All the time. Youth camps would be hundreds of kids. And the way that he built, and it was like a church within a church. 
And so there was no intention of, you know, we're going to, they loved us, but there was a lot of people pulling at them, a lot of obligation, a lot of requirements, right? And so, you know, when I became a teenager, the devil will come tap on your shoulder and start lying and you start listening. Blah, 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 blah. And there was a separation that occurred within my heart toward my dad. And, you know, it goes something like, well, if, if he loved you, you know, he would spend more time with you. Less with the church. Look how much he gives to other people, but not you. Blah, 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 blah. And that's not true because he would... We, we had so many amazing cases. Our thing when I was younger was baseball cards. In 1988, he brought Drew and I to New York City. It was my first time. One of his best friends growing up, Bill Taff, was the senior editor for Sports Illustrated and got us like box seats to go see the Mets who were in playoff contenders. I'm talking Daryl Strawberry, Doc Gooden, Ron Darling, Gary... Carter, where's my Bronx guy? Yeah, you, yeah, you were, he's a Yankees fan, so, you know, forget it. He's from the Bronx. It was my first time tasting a, a gyro. Uh, I actually went to the top of the World Trade Center and stuff like that. And, and, but every Saturday, our thing was collecting baseball cards. Every Saturday. And dad would take us to breakfast. Then we'd either go to the baseball card shop or oftentimes there would be card shows and I got to meet people like Stan Musial, Bob Feller, Bob Gibson, like Mickey Mantle. He was drunk at the time. Uh, he was. Poor guy. But it's like that was our thing and that's how he would spend time with us. This man with all this busy schedule still found time. Now, because the devil is always working, he particularly you know, doesn't like preachers' families, he sought to destroy us. And I got into things that I shouldn't have gotten into, right? Almost, you know, you do these uh, cry of attention, things like that. But my dad had moments where he would reach out to me and, and, and with tears in his eyes and be like, I love you, Charlie. I love you. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And I, 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 I had hardened my heart. I had hardened my heart. Well, long story short, you know, some of you know my, my story. is like I was at Louisiana State University, LSU, which is as big as a city, basically, 35,000 people at the time. Yeah, it's huge. And I lived in basically Animal House. They called it the Pentagon because it was five buildings facing inward, which had a great courtyard where you could slip and slide and have keggers in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I was there for all of that. And then some. And I knew that they were praying for me. And the Lord in the midst of a drug party, spoke to me. And it was maybe not audible like this, but it was audible to that. It shook me to the core. And he said, I love you and I want to bless your life, but I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And I didn't know that was in the Bible. It's in Revelations 3.14. And he said, the dream that you have in your heart, Charlie, and, and Matthew kind of alluded to as well, some, one of the hard things about being a preacher's kid is everybody expects you to be exactly like them and or they'll say things that this is what your life is or should be prophecy right when it's like no that's your wishes but and so you have to walk through this maze of figuring out who i am who god is where i might fit in this other but god spoke to my heart and one of the visions that i had in my heart since i was very young was to have a family was to have a beautiful wife, to have kids. And I, w I was, I realized I was slipping far away from that dream. And I was not honoring God. I knew, and I, I, I actually believed the truth and the Bible. I did. But I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. Like a lot of us at certain times in our life. And that is the seduction of sin, isn't it? I want to do what I want to do. Not your will be done, my will be done. That's what the world teaches, man. I'm hot. Can I just, I need to take this. That is dad's sweater, and this is his ring. I just wanted to wear it today. His signet ring. So God spoke to my heart, and he, 
I went back to my dorm room and got on my knees and I gave my life to the Lord. Nobody had to take me through a service or anything like that. I knew the way home. I found the way home. And yet, there was still over the years this kind of separation still where I think I had resentment toward my father that was unconfronted. So fast forward, I I kind of became, because it's what I knew because of what the environment we grew up, I knew how to be religious and yet lost a lot of myself in the process. Because religion is still always trying to please God with our outward actions rather than in relationship, I don't have to do anything. You'll love me just as I am. And that's who God really is. So I, I wound up, thankfully, God led us at that time, and this is where a huge shift in our family, in my parents' ministry, and in my life began to happen is around the Toronto airport movement thing. Right? And I went up there for some services, and then I eventually went to the school of ministry, and one of the biggest emphasis they have is the Father Heart of God. Some inner healing, which is basically confronting the wounds and the bruises that we carry within us because we are eternal beings. Everywhere that we walk, we carry these wounds, and it affects us. It's the filter through which we see eyes. It's the ideas that cause us to react to people in certain ways when they say something to us that might cross our wires a bit. And we live reactively instead of relationally. And God took me through some deep, 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 deep inner healing. And a lot of it, and most of it, as with most of us, are centered around our relationship to our fathers. And as I began to confront this, God began to heal things. And Dad was still here. And, you know, Dad and Mom went to the conferences, and he went. there was a man who, who really kind of carried the torch for the Father Heart message. I don't know if you remember Jack Frost. He didn't just nip at your nose. He, like, now he's, he was a fisherman who God radically saved out of South Carolina. And his message transformed my, my whole idea of why we are here on this earth. And it's, it's so simple. It's the thing that philosophers and, and kings and poets and everybody has been asking, why are we here? And it's so simple. We were created for love. Yes. That is our purpose. Yes. Love. We're not here to accomplish things and make money. That's nice. That's cool. I like making money. I've had a good quarter at my company. I like that. My wife likes it too. Nothing wrong with that. But we are here to live and love. And it's supposed to start in the family and connect us to our ultimate father, God. So my dad's getting this message from Jack Frost. I'm getting this message from Jack Frost. I'm getting the intense ministry, inner healing up there. Lots of sessions and things like that, counseling and otherwise. And then school of ministry wraps up. I, I had been there almost two years. I'd been on staff. I'd traveled the world with them and things like that. And then at some point after two years, like, okay, Charlie, you're done. Go. You know. And they, they kind of booted me. So I'm making the thousand-mile drive because it was almost exactly a thousand miles from Toronto to North Carolina. And I'm like... I was feeling this like ambivalence. It's like when you feel two feelings at the same time. Like, I want to see my dad, but this guy, he hasn't changed. He's still that grumpy preacher guy, blah, 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 blah. And this is like 20, 2002, so I don't know. It was 20-something years ago, right? And that's when y'all lived on Glasgow Road in Cary. And... They knew I was coming. I get there midday. Everybody's gone. I knock on the door, and I'm like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and my dad opened the door, and all I can say is something. It was like a pipe burst in my belly, and I erupted in this t- 
I, I don't know how to describe it, but something was flowing out of me. It was tears, and it was joy, and it was pain and love. All, and I fell on my dad's chest, and I sobbed for almost 20 minutes and couldn't catch my breath. And he just held me and said, I love you, Charlie. I love you. I love you. I love you. And our relationship changed so drastically. It's when we became golfing buddies. We found something to connect around. We became, we would have calls, and he and I would find something goofy, uh, you know, I don't even, can't even recall it, and we would get on these laughter tears, and we would laugh, almost crying laugh, you know, the cry laugh, where you can't catch your breath for like five or ten minutes. And it would happen often, and I think mom would be like, what's wrong with you guys? Like... (laughs) The point of it is this. How could I be anything but grateful for the way that God has orchestrated our life and arranged our I'm so grateful that Dad and I had that. I'm so grateful for his life and who he was. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I can't even capture, put into words what he meant to me. I'm going to miss his voice in my life. We all are. I'm going to miss his leadership. I, I read the Facebook comments, and you can read them on my post, and th- a lot of the people from his youth group have chimed in from New Orleans and said, we wouldn't be who we are if it weren't for your dad. A lot of people. Matt Kreider, David Mialler, I mean, I was just Miguel Bearhorse, like, and I say the same. I wouldn't be who I was without David S. David Stout Newell. <sighs> I want you to think about your life in this week of Thanksgiving. I want you to think about... I'm, I'm not really going to... Obviously, maybe I'll do these notes next week, right? Did you know that there are emotional and physical benefits of gratitude? This is a University of California study. UC Davis. And I can share this link with anybody, but it's gratitude is good medicine. Gratitude blocks toxic emotions such as envy, resentment, regret, and depression, which can destroy our happiness. These are scientists saying this. This isn't... These are psychologists, psychiatrists. These aren't televangelists. This is UC Davis. And so when, look, look at your life, even the areas that aren't going right, even your crazy children, even your spouse that is annoying you, or coworker, or whoever it is, and find a reason to be thankful. Something. Something. You can find something. And I promise you this. It will change your world. I shocked Tamara because I've been working in sales for over 12 years now. And I've worked for, you know that movie, was it Horrible Bosses or something? Came out years ago with Jason Bateman. Yeah. Bad Bosses funny I've had so many bad bosses but like God has got me in a situation now where I shocked her at the dinner table a few months ago and I'm like we were going around being grateful for things because we're trying to practice this I was like I'm grateful for my job and she was like because I'd always complain because that's not what I want I want to I act for a living God I want to make films and TV like I used to get mad at God but I was like man I'm thankful That's a whole other, yeah. And since then, everything has flipped. I went from being on the uh, cusp of, you know, at my work to I'm number one this quarter, and it's coming in. And I'm, I'm being set up for 2024 to just blow it up. 
and our family is benefiting. And it's like something shifted in my heart to be thankful for these things. Be thankful for your spouse. Be thankful for your child. Tell them you're thankful for them. And, and here's, here's a thought I want to leave. Thanksgiving and gratitude is proactive. It is not passive, sitting back, folding your hands. It's, I'm so grateful for you, Sue, for being a friend to my mom during this time. She's leaning on you. And she's going to need you and a lot of other people, right? I'm so thankful, Tim, you and Diane, your faithfulness. A true son of the house right here. A true son of my father, spiritually. I'm so thankful for... Well, thank you. I don't know you well, but I'm thankful for you. <laughs> thankful for you, dear. Always serving, always showing up, even when you lost your sister. Didn't miss a beat. We're all going to go, man. See, and sometimes like when we pray and we're like, God, I want this. I want my dad to stay. And I did. And I went through my heavy grief like back in June when we thought we were losing him. And, and the truth is, this is, I could use a, some choice words right now. It starts with a shh. And ends with a <clears throat> itty. I didn't say it. There it is. And if that offends you, cancel your Netflix account. <laughs> it has not been a great year for our family. It has been hard. It has been devastating. It has been so hard to see my dad suffer. It has. I do not deny that. I do not deny that. But we're so thankful that we did get to have this time with him. And I'm so thankful for his life. And I'm going to be thankful actively going forward. And all my confusion, all my questioning of God, I'm going I'm to take that to him. And I'm going to be like, Lord, I, I, I'm feeling this, but I surrender it to you. And I'm going to thank you anyway. And that's the paradox of Christianity. Is right? First shall be last. Last shall be first. If you want to live, you've got to die. Take up your cross. Follow me. You think we're going to take up our cross to have a good time? Listen, the world is actually in a dire, dire, dire place. It, it is, we've said this so many times, but you better wake up and be alert to what is going on. Because it, it, it's, it's, the devil is raging on this earth, and his people have to stand up. And it may not be pretty, but we are going to enter the courts with thanksgiving in our heart. We are going to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Because when you walk spiritually into the courts of the Lord, when you walk past the gates and you leave doubt behind, something shifts and changes in you. And you're operating in the heavenly realm. You're no longer operating in an earthly realm when you enter in thanksgiving. And people might look at you and be like, you're crazy. Yes, I am crazy in the natural. But in the spiritual, I'm stepping in. I'm stepping forward. And that's what we are doing as a people in this time. Somebody with me on that? Yeah. Father, we thank you for this, this time. I, 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 just, I can't honor you enough, God, for what you did to, like I said, put your finger on our family to lead my dad to you and the effect that it's had on our family generationally. And it, the effect that it's had on thousands and thousands of people. And we thank you. If you need prayer, our prayer team is going to come up and pray with you. Yeah. And uh, we're going to, Brother Tim, are you going to do Psalm 91? We're going to actually close with that this time. Um, it's such a beautiful song psalm so come up here dear brother tim but i bless you this week to partake of your thanksgiving with such gratitude and remember to be proactive in your thanksgiving this week reach out to that 
person that you're separated from. Tell them you love them, even if they don't respond, right? Do it. We bless you and release you. If you need prayer, the team is going to come up. Thank you. Would you stand with me, please? Don't forget the goodies in the back before you go. We've been repeating this now for a number of weeks, and um, as we do so today, we're going to ask ourselves, um, how can this be true given what we're dealing with? But it is true. Let's apply it to our hearts as we say it, say it, pray it, praise it together. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. May your face shine to his face as we worship him together. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen. So uh, ministry team, come forward. Anyone who needs prayer, um, get in line right here in the center, and then we'll um, be ready to pray for you.